What does it say? We've been looking at church unfiltered. Taking a look at the book of Acts as much as possible to see what did the early church do, what was important to them, what was valuable to them, what can we as a church learn from this book of Acts church. We can learn an awful lot from these guys. As this morning we began to go to the place where the church takes structure. Go ahead and go in your Bible to Acts chapter 6. And we're going to go there and we're going to start today in Acts chapter 6 verse 1. But again, we're going to review a little bit. The church has been given a mission. The mission of the church is quite simple. The mission of the church is what Jesus gave in Matthew chapter 28 when he said, Go into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples. That was the last things he said before he was crucified. That's what he said. So go into the world, preach the gospel, make disciples. That's the mission of the apostles and really the mission of the church. Go into the world. We find in Acts chapter 1 that this began to take place. The church, made up of people at this point that were uh, quite imperfect, that were quite uh, difficult, that had no idea what they were about to experience or what they were in for. The Bible says in Acts chapter 1, they started by being in a room together and doing what? Praying, right? They prayed, they sought God's face, and of course the Bible tells us that God came in power and, 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 he, and he filled them with the Holy Spirit. They spoke in tongues and they were empowered that's the point of being speaking in tongues. They were empowered to go into the world and be his witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and other most parts of the world. That was the call. That was the mission. That was the empowering. And of course, we know that that's what happened. These, there was just an amazing move of God throughout the land of Jerusalem and the surrounding communities. Those first few books of Acts, it's incredible. Peter speaks, and 3,000, 5,000 people come to Christ. You know, Peter and John went to pray, met a lame man on the way, you know, you know the song. And they, you know, they, they went through that, and, and they, they saw this guy, and they were able to pray over him. He was healed. God was doing some incredible things. The church was moving forwards. And it seems like nothing could stop what God was doing. And, you know, even the threat of death, the, fr- the threat of being imprisoned or thrown in jail, that only seemed to fuel the fire. So those things, which you'd think were threats, really even weren't threats at all. That is until he came to Acts chapter 6, verse 1, right? Talk about this last week. We went through and talked about how the first real threat the church experienced was the threat of offense. That the enemy held out to them the bait of the bait, and the bait was offense, and they could have taken it. And it was a very real situation. Let's read here today in Acts chapter six, one again. Uh, but the believers rapidly multiplied. There were rumblings of discontents. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers. No one does that in church, right? No one speak, complains about anybody else. That's weird. Saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of foods. So, verse 2, the the twelve called a meeting of all the believers, and they said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. This was a real problem. It was a real situation. 
It's a real threat. The reason why this was such a real threat is because as you read throughout Acts here, one of the things that made the church so attractive to people was their love for each other. Even Jesus said it, uh, as you probably have seen before in John 15, 35. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. We have found throughout Acts that that was exactly what was taking place. People were seeing the church, how it came together, how united it was, how they sold everything and gave it to the poor. It was just so countercultural, so incredible, that it was, became this attractive thing that people had to know more about. That was what it was. It was an incredible experience. It was an amazing thing. It was, it was, it was awesome. And to threaten this, the enemy holds out the bait of offense. You're listening to those guys? Those guys don't even care about your widows. Those guys don't even care about what's going on here. And you're going to listen to them. Offense was held out right in front of the church. And the opportunity at that point for the church to be taken down, or at the very least to be severely minimalized, was very real and very much there. It's a very real thing. It happened in this moment, and we cannot underestimate why this scripture is so critical and so key and so important. Now, you ever had those times in your life when you're busy, you got a lot going on, there's a lot of things happening, maybe moms, moms, you deal with this stuff all the time, because moms have a difficult time sometimes. You got to go to work, you got you, you to deal with the kids, you got to clean the house, you got to do all these things, there's so much stuff. It feels like you have all these things that you're holding up, and you're holding up everything, you got to keep everything up, and sometimes you overlook things, don't you? That just happens sometimes. Now, guys, we just kind of go without saying, we do that all the time, but, you know, you, 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 it's easy sometimes when you're busy and things are happening to overlook something. That's what happened here. There's no way that the apostles in this moment said, you know what we're going to do? This would be really fun. We're going to just completely overlook these poor widows. We don't care about them. They are just, they're just widows. They don't speak Hebrew. You know, who cares about them? You know, we're just going to forget about these guys, and, and no, no big deal. We're going to go about our business. There is no way these guys did that. One of, the, one of their, the people that was with these, this group even wrote, wrote, a, wrote scriptures where they talked about the importance of dealing with, we'll get that in a minute, of helping the widows and the, and the, 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 the needy among us. And so this was a real issue. And overlooking was not what they did on purpose. It was what they did because they were human beings. They had 24 hours in a day just like us. But as a church, the, as a movement, as a body, as a group of people, the church was, that's exactly what the church was doing, is overlooking a very important part of the church ministry. Because see, up, up to this point, the church was organized and was ministered to, it was, was dealt with in a very different way than what we have nowadays. It would have to happen coming up here. And think about who these 12 guys were, these, these apostles. These were the 12 apostles who walked with Jesus, many of them. They, they, they knew Jesus. They saw him minister. They saw what he did. They heard him do some pretty challenging things sometimes. When he overturned the tables in the temple, you know, when he, when he told the, the, the leaders to suffer the little children, to come unto me, you know, when he rebuked the Pharisees, when he, he did some challenging things. He also asked these guys to step up and to do some ministry when they were frankly scared out of their minds. Remember, back when Jesus was feeding the 5,000, there's 
many people, 15, 20,000 people that are assembled in an area hearing Jesus preach. And, and, and it's a huge situation. There's no McDonald's. There's no Burger King. Thankfully, you know, there's no Chipotle, which is pretty sad. You know, there's none of these things there in that place. And so they have to feed a lot of people in one moment. It could have been terrible. And what does Jesus say to them? He says, you go find them something to eat to his disciples and the apostles. How is he doing that? Why was he saying, you go find them something to eat? You see, Jesus was laying down a principle that we'll find throughout his life. These 12 accomplished a lot. How would they do this? Well, they were, number one, called. Jesus told them, come, follow me. I'll make, I'll make you fishers of men. They were called. They were compelled. I love what John, I love in John 660, what Simon Peter says. He says, Lord, to whom should we go? You alone hold the words of eternal life. And there's so much awesome stuff in that scripture right there. Peter realized in that moment, as part of his realizing that, that Jesus Christ is Savior, he's Lord, he is everything, that he is it. They were compelled by what they saw in Jesus. They were sent. They had the Great Commission, and they were led well. Jesus consistently was handing the reins to his, his apostles because he knew that someday he was going to give his life, he was going to die on the cross for our sins, and that these were the guys that were going to be the next step in taking the gospel to the entire world. Now, i got to be honest this morning. I read these apostles. I read about these guys in the, in the, in the, in the gospels. That's crazy. These guys did not get it oftentimes. These guys were the guys that Jesus said, are you so dull that you don't get it? But yet Jesus is making a point of allowing them and passing on to them throughout the years of their ministry, passing on to them responsibility for what God was calling them to do. To what? To go into all the world, to preach the gospel, and to make disciples. So verse 3, these apostles lead the church in the solution. Verse 3 of Acts chapter 6. And so, brothers, elect or select seven men who are well-respected and are full of the Spirit. That's important there. And, are, and full of wisdom. We will give them this responsibility. Then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the Word. This is a huge, huge moment. Because up until this point in the church, the church was largely on the backs of the apostles. The apostles preached, the apostles went, the apostles were sent, the apostles did pretty much everything up until this point in the church. Up until this point, no one else is recorded as having a hand in the churches moving forward than the apostles. Nobody else did. So this is the first point in the church movement that was shared and taken, where the the, the, the calling, where the, the, the gospel, where the commission that Christ gave was shared by the apostles and was taken up by the people within the church. It's an important, important thing. The apostles preached. The apostles led. The apostles went to the, to the places. The apostles prayed for the sick. The apostles did these things. This was their role. They were preaching the gospel. It was growing. Things were fantastic. And the people's role was to listen and to hear and to respond to the call of the apostles, right? 
and respond they did in large numbers and in large droves. And this, this, this thing expanded and grew and went from city to city. So we start finding in this point in Acts that the, the gospel is, is, is going outside of Jerusalem and it's in surrounding parts of the community. It's, it's getting bigger. It's expanding. It's growing. And with that comes more people. And with more people comes more issues, Right? With more people comes more problems. You see, again, this is why if we think the Acts church was perfect, we're wrong. They weren't perfect. They didn't, they didn't do everything perfectly. They did things the right way. There's a big difference there in that, in that situation. The people, the apostles shared the heart. They shared the call. They shared the burden of the call of God upon their lives. The people responded and listened. Look at the words that it says right here in, in verse 4. It says, look at the apostles. They say, they say, give them this responsibility. In the Greek word, the, the word there is kestemai in that word. And we could see this and say, well, responsibility meant that they were supposed to do everything. No, no, no. The idea here, this Greek word says, this is what it means. It means to make ruler, to ordain, and to lead. So the apostles said, appoint seven men who are full of faith, who are full of wisdom, who are known as those kind of people, and appoint them leaders over this ministry. Appoint them to be people who, just as Jesus did to us, now we do to them, we call them, and we appoint them to take care of this important, valuable ministry within the church. They are handing this responsibility to people exactly as Jesus handed them their responsibility. Think about this. For the apostles to do this, they had to say no to feeding widows. Let's just be honest. That's what they had to do. That's, that's kind of mean, isn't it? Like, let's be honest. You know, come on, really, apostles? Aren't you supposed to be, be men of God? Aren't you supposed to be people who, who, who love God, love people, who are leaders, who are servants and such? For them to do this, they had to say no. Our job, our calling, our role is to preach the gospel. We cannot do this. We have to find somebody else to take care of this thing. Now, had they said yes, they would have been well within their rights. I mentioned it before, James 127 says, Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God, the Father, means caring for orphans and widows. So are they in violation of this scripture right here? Well, of course not. See, what, God, what, they're, what they're doing here is they, they realize that saying yes to one thing means saying no to something else. Or saying no to one thing means saying yes to something else. You've got to hear that this morning, church, because that's a big thing for a lot of us, isn't it? Man, you're looking at number one offender right here. I like to say yes. I like to think I can take it all on my back. I want to say, yeah, I'll do that. Yeah, I'll do that. Sure, I'll do that. Absolutely. We'll do all those things. And guess what? You, like me, we have 24 hours in our day. We have families. We have situations. We have have things. But yet we have this call of God that he's placed upon our lives. He's called the church to move this and carry this forward. God has not called just one of us. This is important. God's not called just you to carry the gospel forward. Do you realize that? 
You're not the only one called. I am not the only one called. We, as the body of Christ, we, as the church of Jesus Christ, we, as his disciples in the modern-day world, we are called to carry the mission forward, to carry the gospel to the world, to, to, to tell them about him and make disciples. Not one, not a few, not a couple, but we, as all of us. Our call to doing that thing. Saying yes to something means saying no to something else. You're home with your family one night and you're having a nice dinner and your friend calls and he says, hey man, let's go hang out tonight. Let's go out and go fishing. Uh, you, if you say yes to that, you are saying no to something else. That doesn't mean that you're bad. You, know, you need to go with, hang out with your friends. You need to have those times sometimes. But, you, but saying yes to one thing means saying no to something else. And see, if we live our lives as a church, we live our lives as believers, where all we do is say yes to things in church, yes, I'll do that, yes, I'll do this, yes, I'll do that, absolutely, I'll stand up, I'll do everything in the church, absolutely. We're going to burn out, and we're going to be frustrated, and things are not going to happen, God's not going to get our best, because we're trying to do everything at one time. But then on the other side of that, you can live your life as a believer and say, well, yeah, I know Jesus. I'm a follower of Christ. But yes, I'm going to go to the cabin. Yes, I'm going to spend time with my friends. Yes, I'm going to do this. Yes, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do all of these things. And so because of that, I am precluding myself from being involved in the ministry of the church. And you are saying yes to those things and no to something else. No to the calling God's placed upon your life. That's just, it's just that simple. And you can say, well, man, but I, I do ministry outside of that. And that's very pot, that's very true. But God has made a mandate as believers that you and I are a part of the body of Christ. That we are here working together for one purpose, one mission, one reason. We are not solo people. We're not islands to ourselves. We're not out there all by ourselves. We, together, as the church, move the mission forward and telling people about him and making disciples. It's just that simple. That's the call of God here in the book of Acts. You see, it says saying yes to something means saying no to something else. Had the disciples and the apostles said yes to this, they said, yeah, we're feeding the widows. We're doing it. They would have had to say no to the idea that the movement was not just on their backs. Again, to this point, that's what it was. They carried it. They carried the mission. They carried this thing. Had they said yes at this point, that ideal, that thing that God and what Jesus so consistently spoke of and, and, and as he walked on the earth would not have begun to take shape and take place. God called the church to be a body that we do this together. Had they said yes, the volume of the preaching of the gospel would have been diminished. Had they said yes, they would, have, they would have been saying no to preaching the gospel more often. The gospel was what was effective. These guys preached and, the, and people responded. These guys preached and the church expanded. You can say it's all their fault. Guys, just quit preaching, right? Stop preaching the gospel. No one, no one will come. And then this problem is, is dealt with. Don't you think that's why the enemy planted in the church at this point, in this, in this moment, for such a time as that, the seed of offense because had the enemy been able to make that seed happen, 
began to take root, and a fence began to take place. The apostles would have had to do this. They would have had to take care of the, of the widows. And guess what happens then? The, the, the preaching slows. The preaching does not happen as much as it does. It doesn't go out in places. It doesn't happen anymore. The church gets smaller, not bigger. The church starts to not expand and reach people for the kingdom anymore. Things change entirely because God called the apostles to preach. And the word of God is powerful. And the word of God being preached is so valuable and so powerful. The apostles said yes. They would have said no to future leaders starting on the path of responsibility in the church. Had they said yes, the church would have moved away from its intention to begin with. Because you see, if they had said yes, the people in the church would have had, could have had this, this attitude that said, well, I, the church is not meeting my needs. The church is not, is not doing what they're supposed to do. I'm not getting my, my needs met. I'm not being fed. I'm not being this and that. The million other things we say about church, it's not helping me. It's not meeting my needs and such. And so the church moves away from its intention from a group of people who are a movement whom God's called to preach the gospel and make disciples as one team, as one body, as one mission into this thing, this, in, this, this organization, this thing that is there to meet my needs and meet your needs, but not do what God has called us to do. That's why this is so critical, such a critical moment in this moment. You thought, well, you're adding to it. Yes, I am adding. I'm, I'm being honest with this morning. This is, this is not what God says. This is how it works. What I am doing is I am taking the word and saying, God, what would it look like had this not happened? We don't know the answer to that. Because you know why we don't know the answer to that? Because though the Acts church was not perfect, they got this one right. Let's continue here and, and read on here. Everyone liked this idea in verse 5. And they chose the following. Stephen, who was a man of faith and his Holy Spirit. Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, I love these names. Timian, Parmenius, it's like Parmesan cheese, but not really. And Nicholas of Antioch who was a a convert to the Jewish faith, these seven were presented to the apostles who prayed for them as they laid their hands on them. God led the apostles to overcome both parts of this threat by not playing them off against one another. What's cool about this, the little tidbit here, is these seven men, these were all Greek names. And so by that meaning, that, 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 that what happened here is the apostles chose these guys, or these people were elected and allowed to serve from the group of people that were, out, that were being offended. So this was a big moment because for the first time, again, the church was not in the hands of the Hebrews. The church was now beginning to move out of the hands of the Hebrews into the Greeks and into the people that were outside of the area of Jerusalem. This is a huge moment for the church. Because it wasn't just us. It wasn't just our thing. It wasn't just, well, we're the chosen of God. It was a bigger issue. It was a bigger thing. It was spreading. It was an amazing situation. And think about how countercultural that is. How were they able to affect culture? Because they shared the burden and they took the burden. Shared and taken is a critical exchange in the movement of the gospel going forward. The solution was a new kind of teamwork in the body of Christ, that God was calling them to build team. Now you know the method to the madness. 
Some of you guys who know me well and know where we're going here with some things. Now you see it. Now you know the method of the madness. This is what God has called the church to be from the beginning of time. God's called us to be one body, one fellowship, one group, one people who not a few of us are called to do everything, but that all of us are called to do a little bit. That none of us burn out. It's that all of us receive and realize the blessing that it is to serve in God's kingdom. To help people find and follow Jesus. Think about this for a minute this morning. Mention the next chapter uh, of Acts right here. You'll find a man named Stephen. And we just read about Stephen a minute ago. And Stephen, if you read on and you cheat a little bit, some of you guys might be doing, cheating on a little bit, you'll find Stephen... Uh, was no longer waiting tables. He was no longer leading this group of people. Now you find Stephen who was preaching the gospel. And he's preaching so powerfully and perhaps preached a message that was more powerful and was more amazing than anything Peter ever preached. You read, you read the book of Acts chapter 7. It is awesome reading. That's Stephen preaching that. Not an apostle preaching, by the way. It was Stephen, one of the disciples, one of these guys He's preaching this message, and people are coming to Christ. People are being set free. And Stephen, in this moment, is threatened, and he is stoned for what he's preaching about. Stephen is preaching this message, and as he's preaching, there's one person in the crowd listening to what he's saying. That one person is a man named Saul. Saul later became the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul wrote much of the the New Testament. The Apostle Paul wrote and led and planted so many churches and so many places and so many people around that part of the world. It's staggering to think about the impact that that guy had, but that didn't start right there. What started is right here as Paul listened to this message message of this man Stephen preaching. Now I got to wonder, again, this is my thoughts, okay? Don't mix this up. This is, this is my personal belief. I wonder what would happen had Stephen not stepped up in this moment. Would he have been preaching? Would that have happened? We just don't know the answer to that, do we? We don't know what, what would happen. We don't know if, if he had not started his involvement here, had he been able to take the next step in leadership in the church and begin to preach and all these things. We don't, we don't know that because we don't have to know that because he, because he took on the role. He took on the leadership mantle. Philip, the evangelist, not the apostle. There's two different Philips here. This Philip was the man mentioned above here in verse 5. Philip, the evangelist, um, after Stephen had been martyred the next chapter, uh, Philip, the evangelist, took his place, and he went out. And he went to Samaria and planted churches out there. This Philip, the evangelist, had a huge role in leading the, the, the early church. Acts chapter 21, Philip is mentioned as entertaining Paul in a very critical moment towards the end of his mission's work and his life. Leadership never leaves us in one place. It gives growth and it gives blessing. But oftentimes leadership starts with one step and saying, Lord, I want to, be, I want to share the mission and I want to take that burden on myself. Shared and taken. Two critical Critical things and why the church was able to, to function and grow in this place. Worship band, if you could come up this morning, you guys will. Uh, uh, Luke celebrates this burden being shared and taken. You read in verse 7 right here, you find Luke is, shares this unprecedented growth. The church's structure is established that provides for its continued 
and, and I say unprecedented growth. Last year, there was a stadium, and I close with this, a stadium, a high school football stadium, mind you, built in, in, uh, in Allen, Texas. And Texas, of course, is the state that, you know, Friday night lights. It's all about football down there on Friday nights. And this, they built this stadium, and I saw a picture of it. It's just, it's just unbelievable. It's huge. It's got more seats than most college stadiums. I mean, it's just packed of people. There's stuff everywhere. It's this beautiful place. Sixty-some million dollars spent on this football stadium in, in, in Allen, Texas, just staggering for us to think about where in Minnesota, that just doesn't happen that much. Texas football is a big deal. The stadium has a, had, had a problem. The stadium, they, they found as they built it, they made some very critical errors in the structure. There were some, there were some critical errors that, that uh, were, were in the metal work and in some of the concrete work, the way it was put together and, and such. And so, so that when the, the stadium could handle being empty and could handle the workers and handle a few people, but then when they started putting people in the stadium, what happened was cracks started taking place. Literally, before their eyes, it's cracking. And people are freaking out about this, obviously, because this brand new stadium is, is cracking. They had rocks coming down from above, and it was just this dangerous thing. And this brand new stadium. The stadium, though it was beautiful to look at, and though it was an incredible thing to see, and money, and engineering feats, and there's all this great stuff. The stadium lacked the structure for its growth. It lacked the structure to handle the growth that was coming to the stadium. See, the church here, this is so cool, the church in this, in this scripture here, in Acts 6, why it's so important for us to get this. Let's read on in verse 7. And the word of God that had not been forsaken or diminished, I, I like that, increased. The enemy, the enemy did not win. The, the bait of Satan that was brought there of offense did not happen. It was not forsaken, not diminished, but it increased, it says. And the number of disciples multiplied. And this is huge here. The number of what? Disciples multiplied. Also at first. This is one of the first times you find the word disciple mentioned and attributed to people in the church outside of those that were the disciples of Christ. One of the first times. That's critical. Because these people were responding to the gospel, responding to Jesus, responding to the call of the preaching, but we know they weren't responding to just the apostles, responding to the call of God. The call of God is a call of discipleship. The call of discipleship is pick up your cross and follow me. The call of Jesus is one that says, I love people. I want people to know me. I want people to be freed from sin. I mean, you just read through the, the calls of God of discipleship, and it's massive. It's huge. And it's for all of us this morning. That's the call God gave. And the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were now obedient to the faith. Well, hold on. Because I remember back in Acts chapter 4, verse 1. The priests were, it says right there, were very, very hostile to the gospel. Priests 
looked at them, they made fun of them, they, they brought accusations against them. I mean, the priest of anyone was not coming to Christ. But now it says here, now the priest believed. Now the priest started saying, okay, maybe there's something to this thing. Luke is celebrating the triumph over the in-house problem that brought about a new breakthrough in evangelistic power. It brought about a breakthrough and change. It gave the church the structure it needed to go forward and grow. And what's the mission of the gospel? To go into the world and to preach the gospel and to make disciples was now supported because the structure was now there. I sat with a, a friend of mine a few, a, few, a few years ago before we moved here. He's a pastor in, in uh, West Michigan who's struggling mightily with his church. He was just having a hard time. And him and I had, had coffee, and he was just like, he was just pouring his heart out to me. And, and there's some clues in what he was saying that I was like, okay. I was like, well, who, who's helping you? And he said, well, well, nobody. He goes, I'm called to be the pastor. I'm like, okay, talk about that a little bit. He goes, well, I'm, I'm the pastor. He goes, it's my responsibility. I'll, I'll preach. All clean. This guy was, was cleaning the, the building. He was preaching the, the messages. He was teaching Sunday school. Uh, he was leading Wednesday night Royal Rangers ministry. Uh, this guy was doing a gazillion things in his church. He was fried, t- tired, frustrated. He was burned out. He was like, whenever I preach, no one even cares what I'm saying. He goes, it's just a disaster. I said, well, how about, how about starting to kind of like build some structure in your church? And he goes, oh, no, 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 no. He said, structure is what happens when the church looks least like the church. I was like, okay. So I, I brought this, this passage. I said, well, how about this? And so I reread it. And he was like, well, maybe I need to rethink that a little bit. There's this idea that, that says that, well, structure isn't valuable or is important because structure is so ungodly or so unspirit-led or whatever else. But I'm telling this this morning that this, that's not truth this morning because it's right here in the scriptures. Which is with structure, that is spirit-led structure, gives us the ability to grow and all of us to see our place in, those, in this ministry, in this world, that we are called to go into the world and preach the gospel and make disciples. You may say, well, I'm not a preacher, I'm not a, I'm a leader, I'm not a small group leader, I'm not this, I'm not that, I'm not all those things. But I want to tell you this morning, you are a leader because you are a believer. And the believer and the, the word calls you and says, yes, you are a leader. When it says you go into the world and you preach the gospel and you what? Make disciples. It's not a call for me only, it is, but not, not just me. Not just for pastors, not just for deacons, not just for elders. It's a call to disciples. If you are a follower of Christ, he calls you a leader. And the cool thing this morning is this, is that he has called us to not, you're not going to all of a sudden just jump and, okay, now this is, okay, I'm going to be a leader, okay, I'm not going to lead a, a church or whatever else. And he calls you to take a step of faith and say, okay, God, I'll do that. I want you to bow your head and close your eyes this morning. Because the call of, of Christianity, the call of believing in Christ, the call of serving him, the call of saying yes to Jesus is a call to his, to his greatest of commandments, to his, or to his greatest of, of commissions, not commandments, com- commissions. Go into the world to preach the gospel and make disciples. Heads bowed, eyes closed this morning, no one looking around. 
I want to pray this morning over you today, church. And I want to pray today that as the, the, the apostles shared the, the, the burden, shared the mission, shared the, the heart, shared the call that God placed on their life, as the apostles shared this, the people had to take it. You can be shared with and not take it. And I'm not going to be here today to cast condemnation on you. I'm not going to be here today to, to all, none, none of that. But I want to tell you what I believe with all my heart is that ministry is a gift and a blessing when the church does what they're called to do. God, this morning, oh Jesus, I pray over our church. What I pray over these next few moments, Lord God, as you begin to minister and work in our lives, God, that you would call out of us, Lord Jesus, the heart for the call that you gave the disciples that they, when they became apostles, that they passed on to the leaders, and the leaders passed on to people, and it's been passed on from generation to generation, your body, the church, that is to go in the world, preach the gospel, make disciples. Lord God, help us, Lord, to take that as a burden, and take that as a value and an importance and responsibility in our own personal lives. Lord, how do I fit into that? Lord, what place do I play? Lord, what thing do I do? Got to start on that place, Lord God. I, I see it. I'm happy doing it right now, but I recognize my need for it. And Lord, my commitment today, Lord, is that I will say, okay, I'll take it. I pray this in your name, Lord Jesus.